Amen. Okay, so picture the scene if you would. I am in a college classroom uh, about, it's in Edinburgh, about maybe, I don't know, seven years ago, uh, something like that. There's maybe about ten of us, and we're all waiting for a lecture to begin, and I am exhausted. <laughs> I have been up half the night with this sort of horrible concoction of Hebrew homework and a screaming newborn child. Okay, so I am exhausted. And then uh, the lecture, uh, it begins, it starts, you know, the door uh, to the lecture hall opens and an elderly uh, lecturer appeal, uh, appears and he, and he comes to the front of the class. He turns around and he announces, Class, today we are going to consider the divine nature of the Messiah. And I, I nearly pull my hair out, you know, because... I'm thinking to myself, is this really what I need? Like, I, I'm about to go out into ministry for the first ever time. Like, I, I need, like, I, I need to know about how to counsel parents who have been bereaved, or how to lead a wedding service. Do I really need yet again to be swamped with in-depth theological truth? That's my thought process. Well, what I know now that I wasn't seeing clearly that day is that that subject, the topic that that man had chosen to speak on that day was perhaps the most important subject of all. You see what I mean? The fact that Jesus of Nazareth is God's son is everything to Christianity. That is the truth upon which our present joy, but also our future hope stands. It is absolutely everything to the people of God, the divine, eternal, divine nature of Jesus of Nazareth. And so because of its importance, do you know what? It gives me great pleasure to say to you just now that as we move on in Mark's gospel, it's that. It is the exalted nature of the Messiah that is front and center for us in here today. So I'd ask you to do this. We've just read those short verses. I'm asking you to keep those open in front of you. So from verse 35 to 37. And let's highlight a, a number of things in this portion of Scripture. The first is this. We see here an incorrect understanding about the Messiah. You got it? An incorrect understanding about the Christ, about the Messiah. There's something wrong here. Okay, something wrong. So what is it? Uh, Well, you know, partly because we get a lot of visitors at LCPC and partly just because it helps us. We, We like to begin our sermons, don't we, with a sort of reminder, just a little quick recap of what's going on. So what's happening here in Mark chapter 12? Well, do you know what I think it's really important that we recognize that this is happening just a few days before the cross? You need to be with me on that. This is, I think, most likely the Tuesday of the Passion Week. And Jesus is doing what? He's teaching in the temple courts. We've established that, haven't we? And there's been a lot, <laughs> there's been a lot of discussion as Jesus has been teaching, hasn't he? Like uh, you've had, in the previous few hours, you've had religious group after religious group and individuals and they're all coming up to Jesus and they're all 
asking him lots of different questions. Who is he? What does he believe? What is he teaching here? It's been a lot of talking. It's been a lot of discussion. So what is it? That's the sort of background. What is it that you've got here? What happens now? What happens next? Well, you know that English expression, I'm sure. Uh, the shoe is on the other foot. Isn't that what we're dealing with? Because having been asked an awful lot of questions, do you see what happens in verse 35? It's not, shoes on the other foot. It's now Jesus' turn uh, to, to set the agenda, isn't it? It's Jesus' turn to sort of stand before what we are told is a huge crowd. And that's emphasized by Mark. So there's loads of people here and it's Jesus' turn to pose them a question. Shoes on the other foot. So this is what I would ask you to do. Would you note the question? The question is key. It's verse 35. Have a look. He says, to the crowd... How can, how can the scribes possibly say that the Christ, that the Messiah, is the son of David? What is he getting at? Well, we all know in here, I'm sure, uh, the story of Che Guevara. Don't we? We all know the story of Che Guevara. At least we've seen Che Guevara's picture enough times. Che Guevara, uh, of course, was that sort of Marxist a revolutionary, wasn't he? The one who fought uh, alongside Castro, you know, to try and, I guess, well, he overthrew a Cuban dictator. And I suppose in his eyes, he liberated the people from tyrannical rule. That would be his take on it, I'm sure. Che Guevara. We know the story of Che Guevara. Now, okay, maybe the illustration is a bit loose here. But that there is how the people of Israel here thought about the Messiah. I hope you see what I'm getting at here. The Jews at the time in Jerusalem were waiting for a political revolutionary. Isn't that how they were thinking about things? They were waiting for God to sort of raise up a man and a man who was going to fight for the people. And he was going to liberate the Jews from under the tyrannical rule of the Roman Empire. Wasn't that a political revolutionary? This Messiah. All the people are waiting. Now, here's the thing. Now, you've got to get this with me. Although the people of Israel were fuzzy on a lot of aspects of the Christ and the Messiah, there's one thing everyone knew. What was that? They knew that this political revolutionary would come from the family line of David. You know, even if you're a kid in Jerusalem at the time, you knew that, like, this Messiah, this freedom fighter, he's, he's going to come and he's going to be a descendant of, he's going to be a, he's going to be a son of David, King David from the Old Testament. Now, you can see in Mark that Jesus has got a problem with this, doesn't he? He's got a problem with this kind of overall perception of the role of this Messiah of the Christ. So what is the problem that he's got here? Well, I've been uh, listening on and off to uh, an American preacher recently. I try to sort of, I'm sure you do the same, try to vary the preachers you listen to online. I've been listening to this guy, uh, and it's a guy who's got almost something of a a catchphrase, I I suppose. Especially if he's dealing with a contentious issue. He'll say to his congregation, he'll say, right, to be honest, you know, brothers and sisters, I'll maybe not go down the American accent route after all. Let me think about that. No, I won't. He says, brothers and sisters, you know, you are free to disagree with me on this. But if you're going to come and disagree, make sure you bring your Bible in your hand. 
And you see what he's getting at. You know, theological discussion has to be based in the word of God. Now, you see that there? That's how the first century rabbis rolled as well. Like if they're discussing theology, they would base it in, they would use the word of God. And I need you this morning to see that that is what Jesus does here. Now you can see how this goes down, can you not? That he speaks to the crowd, maybe silences the crowd, speaks to them, shows them that their view of the Messiah is wrong, but how does he do it? What does he point them to? Do you see? He points them to Psalm 110. And you can almost hear our Lord in the temple courts, can't you? He says, think about it. Think about the psalm. How is it that King David refers to the Messiah? What does he say? Does he say, my Lord God said to my descendant? Is that how he puts it? Does he say, my Lord said to my son? What did King David say? My Lord said to my Lord. He referred to the Messiah as his own Lord. Do you see the, the point that Jesus is making here? The Messiah is more than a political revolutionary. He is more than a descendant, a son of David. What's he saying? He's saying, oh, the Messiah was David's Lord. One, if you think about it, even the greatest king had to bow before now let me turn this to you. What, what, what do you think right now? What do you, what are you thinking? You thinking, hang on, this is like being in a college classroom in Edinburgh. And you thinking, oh, this is, this is dry theological stuff the, this morning. Do you not, oh, do you not see how absolutely imperative this is to London City Presbyterian Church? You just need to look around. If you do that, what do you see? You see that we are not this sort of homogenous blob. Homogenous group of people. I mean, you know what it's like. Maybe we go to a Southern Baptist church in the States or we go to a free church in the Scottish Highlands and you look around and what do you see? Everyone's same. <laughs> everyone's like they've been in that church for 10 generations and everyone's got the kind of same ideas about faith. And I'm telling you, it's not like that here. Wonder if you see what that means. It means People often come in here with very, very different ideas about the Messiah. Very different ideas about the Christ. And I, I'm telling you, like, I've not been here very long, a matter of years, but I don't know, six, seven times I've, I've had the same thing from people in this church and they will say, I do not believe that the Messiah is divine. I believe he's my saviour. I believe that he is the Christ. I believe that he died on the cross, but I, 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 he's a man. I believe that he's just a man. Now, listen, how are we to respond to that? How do we respond? Like, do we, as we do with so many different theological issues, do you and I just agree to disagree on matters like that with these people? Is that it? I'm asking you to consider what you've got in front of you. What did I say a moment ago? I said, this is the Tuesday of the Passion Week. Do you see what that means? That means that this is one of the last opportunities Jesus is going to have to speak to the people of Israel before he is executed. This is one of his last chances. And then what was the other thing? This is not in response to a question. This is Jesus now setting the agenda. He chooses the topic. And it's such a critical juncture, a vital moment in his ministry. 
What subject does he choose to speak about? The exalted nature of the Messiah. Do you see the lesson? Lowly views of Christ are unacceptable to God. And they must be unacceptable at London City Presbyterian Church. Friends, the Messiah is not just a political figure. He is not even just a man. The Messiah is one worthy of glory, honor, and praise. And anything else is an incorrect understanding of God's word. So an incorrect understanding of scripture here, or incorrect understanding of the Messiah. A second thing that we must note here is an implied truth about the Messiah. An implied truth about uh, the Messiah. Now, near our house, we live up in Woodford in the northeast of London. And uh, near our house, there uh, used to be a derelict house. A derelict home. Uh, I would walk past this place and drive past it all the time. You've got to believe me when I tell you it was disgusting. (laughs) You know how it gets. It gets really ugly. The grass in a derelict house, it's growing everywhere. The house itself is almost like discolored. You can walk past it and almost kind of smell the mold from it. Just gone to rack and ruin. Now, uh, one day the inevitable thing happened. Uh, where builders came in and they leveled it. You know, they just, they tore this house down. They completely flattened it. Now, that's not unusual. That's what we'd expect to happen. The unusual thing was, in London especially, that it took absolutely ages for anything to go up in its place. Like, I would walk past it almost on a daily basis, and there would be a sign and uh, saying that there's going to be a new house, and there'd be builders everywhere, and there'd be builders you know, sitting in their van doing very little, but it was a vacant lot for ages and ages and ages. And you're wondering, what is he talking about? Why is he talking about this? Because, friends, that is how a lot of people interpret this section of Scripture. That's what they think Jesus is doing here. Now, I wonder if you see what I mean. The argument, the accusation is that Jesus here clears away this disgusting, ugly view of the Messiah. But the accusation is that he doesn't put anything up in its place. You see it? That he says, yes, the Messiah is exalted. He's more than just a man. That he clears away this ugly view, but that he does not establish exactly here who the Messiah is. doesn't give us enough information. He doesn't say who or what the Messiah is. You see the accusation? I'm saying to you, I, 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 don't, I, I really don't buy that at all. And I'll, I'll tell you why. First of all, you'll have noticed, I think, when, when we read that, there is this implied theme of Sonship here. See what I mean? Like Jesus really emphasizes the word son in this section of scripture. He doesn't just say, oh, you believe that the Messiah is going to be a descendant. You believe that the Messiah, the Christ, is going to be offspring. He says, no, it's son. Look at verse 37. Look what he goes on to do as well. He says, in verse 37, David himself calls the Christ Lord. So how is he, how is he David's son? How is he, how is he his son? 
Do you see what he's doing? He's hinting that the Messiah, yes, is David's son, but not just David's son. How is he his son? You know, see, point, maybe he's somebody else's son. There's this implied theme of sonship. There's someone else, though. Because, friends, what is that mantra that we always have at LCPC when we're trying to interpret a portion of Scripture? What do we, what do we say in here? We don't say, what is it, location, location, location with Phil and Kirsty or whoever it is. It's not location, location, location. What do we say when we're trying to understand the Bible? We say context, context, context. And I'm asking you, do you not find the context here really remarkable and unusual? Because if you're part of this church, we've been in Mark 12 for an eternity. <laughs> like some people have preached through Mark's gospel about six times and, and, and in the time that we've been in Mark chapter 12. What's the remarkable thing about half of Mark 11 and chapter 12? What's the remarkable thing about the last seven, eight weeks? All happens one day. Isn't that remarkable? Like if you think back, remember the Sanhedrin representatives asking about Jesus' authority. Remember that? And the Pharisees questioning Jesus about paying taxes to Caesar, the parable of the tenants, and, 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 and the Sadducees about the resurrection, and the scribe, and then, then this, all of that. Now think about that. All of it in a matter of hours. Now listen to the point. What does that mean? It means it was just a few minutes ago that that crowd around Jesus heard the parable of the tenants. That just happened. They just heard that. They've just heard. What happened in the parable of the tenants? God the farmer sends his servants. Who else does he send? He sends his son. Did you just a few minutes ago, just a few moments ago, that the crowd around Jesus heard that great implied claim from Jesus of divine sonship? They just heard it. Friends, this is not a, an empty lot. Do you see that here in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is implying this most fundamental truth. What is it that that crowd could see? That the Messiah was not just... David's son. They could see. Why did they rejoice? Why were they glad? They surely could see that the Messiah was the son of God. And friends, I, I, I stand as your minister and I am uh, pleading with you never to loosen your grip on that truth. Like no matter how much uh, the society today in Britain is going to pressurize us to water down our Christology. And it really is going to. And no matter how much people in your lives and your friends and your loved ones will desire for you to say otherwise, you never, ever yield on the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of Almighty God. Now you hear me? Like he, the Lord, is divine. He is David's greater son. Isn't he? He is the second person of the Trinity. He is eternally God. He is of one substance and equal with the Father in heaven. And I ask you, where is your Messiah just now? What do we sing in the psalm? Where is he? He's taken a seat at the right hand of his father. Now you see what that means, of course, don't you? His reign is not political. 
That's not what it's about. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. His reign it is eternal. Isn't that what has he done? He would go on from this temple. He would go on from Tuesday to Friday. He would die on the cross. He would defeat darkness and death. And he would subdue them under his feet. Do you see it? Yes, he's David's son. But he is also David's Lord. He is man. But who is our Savior? Who is the Christ? He is God. And you know what that means, friends. You know what is going to happen. One day, everyone in this room, one day, everyone who has ever walked this earth, they are going to understand Jesus as God. Everyone is going to bow. They are going to confess him to be Lord. Everyone shall see on that day that he is the Lord of glory. He is the Lord of all. They will all understand that he is the divine Christ. And everyone will worship Jesus of Nazareth as the eternal Son of God. We have here an implied and beautiful truth about the Messiah. So an incorrect understanding, an implied truth, but then lastly, an important question about the Messiah. Now, An important question about the Messiah, because wherever this is discussed in church, this doctrine we are talking about here, the eternal divine nature of Jesus, you will hear the same refrain. And as I hinted that earlier on, I can say that to you because in the time that I have been in London, there have been innumerable occasions where this has been discussed, even since Christmas time. I was thinking about this. I've had the same conversation three or four times. And in each each occasion, I will hear the same response. So we, I will affirm the eternal divinity of Jesus. And the person will say to me, but what does it matter? Can you, can you see where they're coming from? The person will say, well, I believe that Jesus is Savior. I trust in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. He died for my sin. He's risen. He's ascended to glory. The only difference we have, Andy, is that I don't believe that he's divine or eternally divine. I don't believe that he is God. And if that's the only difference, Andy, what difference does it really make? How do we answer that question? We're going to close with this. I just want to give you a few reasons why this is essential. One, the eternal divinity of Jesus is important because it is what the Bible teaches. (laughs) Because yes, it's implied here, isn't it? It's only implied that Jesus is divine in Mark chapter 12. It is implied, but you know, I hope as well as I do, that elsewhere it is as clear as crystal. John 10.30, what does Jesus say? He says, the Father and I are one. And everyone in here, I'm sure, knows John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Yes? What about though the I am sayings? The I am sayings of Jesus. What about the fact that our Lord accepts 
the worship of him as God. He doesn't do as Paul does, as, as Peter does. He doesn't reject it. He accepts that worship of him as God. Now, do you see it? All of those things are so, so clearly a claim of divinity that what did Jesus' opponents accuse him of? What was the great accusation against Jesus? Blasphemy. It was blasphemy. We assert the eternal divinity of Jesus. Why? Because it is what the Bible clearly teaches. Second one. This is important, friends. This is important because it defines the God that we worship. Now, what is it that we've got in our hands here? As Adrian said earlier on, this is the inerrant word of God. This is where the creator God has revealed himself to humanity. We learn all we need to know about God from this book. And what has God revealed? Who is God? He is a triune God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a trinity, isn't he? Now, do you see what that means, the implication of this? If you come to me and say, but I do not believe that Jesus is eternally divine, do you know what I have to say? You worship a different God. Like if, if you deny that Jesus is the Son of God, if you deny that he is the second person of the Trinity, I know it is stark. But friends, I have to say, you worship a God that is contrary to the God that has revealed himself in Holy Scripture. So, this is important. But I'll give you a third reason why it's crucial. And it's because, friend, your salvation is on the line. Like, I've an obvious question to ask you, and and we are closing with this. What is it that you and I need if we are going to be saved from our sin? And you say, we need a saviour. What kind of saviour do we need? We need a saviour who is both human and can deal with the sins of mankind. But we need a saviour who is also divine. So he can deal with our sins sinlessly and eternally. Do you recognise what is at stake? Do you see why this is important? If we say that Jesus is not of God, then he cannot fully deal with our sins in the way that God demands. Like if Jesus is not fully of God, then you and I are united by faith to a limited Savior. One who can't really save us, a partial Christ. You see, unless our Savior is eternally divine, our salvation is not eternally sufficient. Everything, everything, everything about Christianity, it stands or falls on this. And so I end where the portion of Scripture ends. Do you remember what it said? All of these people, all the multitudes around Jesus, those people delighted in what he said. I'm asking you whether you delight in the exalted nature of Christ Jesus. Like by faith is it this morning that you are in here rejoicing in who Jesus is. And if so, surely what we do now as a congregation, in a moment as we sing, is we lift up our praise to God. We respond gladly that we worship God for 
for what he's done. Because what does this mean? It means he's, he didn't send a created being. Like he didn't look on at you. He didn't send a creature. He didn't send an angel. What does it mean? It means that he loved you so much he watched his own son die for you. We worship God for what he's done, but we worship God for who he is. Our Messiah is both David's son and he is David's Lord. Our Messiah is God. He is the divine Christ. So may it be that Jesus of Nazareth, as the Son of God, is the object of your praise in a moment as we sing. But may it be that he is the object of your praise into eternity. Friends, let us pray.